Welcome to the latest edition of the Thought Police. Hello. Um, we're episoding away here and people are loving it. It's going really well, I think. Yeah. Um, people are liking the conversations we're having. Yeah. It's not all about Brexit, even though sometimes we think that's all we're going to talk about. It tends to get round to Brexit. It gets into it. Well, yeah. yeah, because you're not fine now that we're almost indelibly kind of hooked in now to yeah. everything. The Matrix is all about Brexit. It is. No matter what you do, whether you're talking about the Labour Party, whether you're talking about Boris, whether you're talking about... Uh, the ambassador in Washington. Yeah. Everything has got a kind of connection to Brexit, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because, well, that just demonstrates just how mm. all-encompassing the issue is, yeah. which nobody thought it was at the time, of course. No, I don't really I'm remember. I'm glad to hear you admit that. Well, I don't really remember thinking about it that much at the time. Yeah. Do you know? I just... <laughs> Hang on a minute. No. You, uh, your whole premise is that everyone knew exactly what they were voting for. Yeah, and to leave the European Union. Now you've yeah. admitted that you had no real concept no. and didn't even think that's about it. that's not what I said. No, that's not what I said. What I said was that, you know, I don't remember three years ago thinking that my life would become dominated by bloody Brexit. No. And by how we're leaving, when we're leaving, you know, under which circumstances we're leaving, who's going to take us out, you know, where are we going to go, all of that. Because it seemed to me just to be another story at the time yeah. that we were going to leave the European Union. It's only because of people like you that have made it that so have, difficult. That have pointed out no, the complexity. No, that have something made it, that you that have, no. thought was simple. No, no, I just thought it would get done. And nothing yeah. is simple, right? Right. Being married isn't simple. No. Having children is not simple. Um, you know, going to the shop sometimes isn't simple. It doesn't stop you doing it, does it? Well, no, none of those examples stop you doing it. But mm. leaving the European Union after 40 years and yeah. meshing in every single piece of legislation, yeah. every trade deal, yeah, yeah. every cultural exchange, yeah. every job swap, that's complicated. Well, it's it not is. like getting married. Yeah, well, actually, you might say that. But, uh, you know, I've been in some marriages uh, which were very much more complicated <laughs> than trying to leave the and European Union. more costly than leaving the uh, European yeah, Union. Yeah, actually, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm still paying for it, but nevertheless. Anyway, let's talk about something else for the moment because yeah. this is also this week quite an important week the anniversary of 7-7 the 14th anniversary of 7-7 yes. and it kind of it's one of those anniversaries which I, which always means quite a lot to me because I wasn't actually here when it happened I was in America on holiday and it had a quite profound effect on me in a way which I'll tell you about in a minute mm. but you must have been here presumably at the time I was here yeah and I was working on the mirror and yeah. it was obviously it was one of those enormous events that you get every six seven years yeah. The whole newsroom stops, right. you know, and energizes. Everybody becomes very, very focused. Mm. And I think in the there's something interesting when you're a journalist and you're covering a massive story like that. Is yeah. there's an element of detachment? Yes, actually. So you're you're looking at it as an observer, mm. and I think it took me a little while to understand that this was an enormous event that yes. was going to change an awful lot in in London. You know? Yes, and also a very shocking event because I think one of the things for me anyway that that took a bit of getting used to was the fact that these kids on the face of it who were responsible for yeah. killing all those people were pretty ordinary one was a working class year old lad, you know, yeah but working class yeah. kids effectively from yorkshire i mean you yeah. can say what you like about their antecedents and how um you know generations before they'd come to this country from somewhere else yeah. they're basically kids from yorkshire who okay. decided that they hated this country so much that they wanted to blow it up and i still struggle with that i still yeah. really find it difficult to imagine that people who, to all intents and purposes, have had maybe not a, a particularly great life, but a pretty good life in this country, want to kill people yeah. who are from the same country as them. Yes, it's um, it's appalling. And, of course, the attack was not just on people from this country. No. You know, I think there were there were 52 victims, right? And I Very think much was, an attack on London, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and, and there were, I think the, one of the extraordinary things was something like 18 or 19 different nationalities amongst the, the, the dead, yeah. you know, which... which 
if you live in London, that that's brought home, I think, for the very first time that London is is not an English city; mm. it is a global city. It's an international and, city, and and people, I suppose, looking from the outside, looking in at London, may have a bit of an issue with that. Yeah, and reading some of the stories, and some of them by people, not the people that I know, but people that say follow me on Twitter and stuff like that, who were involved in it, and many more people, of course, who 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 were who survived it. And who didn't get injured effectively, but this was there's one particular woman who's been looking for a woman who helped her. She was two carriages ahead of the bomb that went off on the Piccadilly line near King's Cross, yeah. and she staggered out of the station, didn't really know what was going on. Just talked about how you know she saw, and I think at the time nobody was very sure whether it was a bomb or what it was, but people were kind of you know just staggering stunned, yeah. out in various states of undress, various states of covered in blood, dust, whatever. And she said she was ushered into this kind of cafe by someone and given a cup of tea, and she wants to find that person that did that and hasn't ever seen them again. Amazing. And those kind of random acts of kindness that yeah. people do for each other. Yeah. And I, th- when I was reading her story, I just thought, I can't imagine what surviving something like that would be like, because you probably never, there would be never a point at which you wouldn't think about it. No, well, you know? I, I mean, the, the closest I've ever come to something like that was mm. I was once robbed at gunpoint in right. South Africa by okay. a guy. It wasn't just a sort of random street mugging. It was right. a guy who... I'd been talking to for about 20 minutes oh, really? and he suddenly pulled a gun on me Oy. and said, this is a trap. And right. suddenly I realised we were in the middle of nowhere wow. and, you know, I had to rip my wed- wedding ring off Jesus. my teeth. I mean, it was, and who it, did you think he was? So I just thought he was this... So it's a long story, but there was yeah. a teacher's strike and I'd been at a conference where some of these teachers right. had been attending the conference and he said he was one of these guys right. and was wanting to explore journalism, blah, blah, blah. And so we just got talking, right. walking, I don't know, Cape Town from the back of my hand. Right. Lucky it was Cape Town, by the way, because the cops said if it was Johannesburg, they'd just shoot you they first and then you. take your right. ring off. Wow. But, um, but yeah, so but the point was that for about three or four years after that, I couldn't get into a taxi or find myself alone yeah. with a stranger right. without suddenly thinking, hang on, wait, right. this, am I safe? You know, something Because there is on. a kind of randomness about it, isn't yeah. there? You know, it's like when I, I, I had an office in New York uh, when I was working there, and I got robbed three times in a week by the same guy, yeah. you know. And each time I would put something else up, like I put bars on the window, or I put something, you know. But he kept finding different ways in. Finally, I hired a security guard uh, with a gun, yeah. and I said, "If he comes back, don't shoot him because I fucking want to, you know." <laughs> and just hold him there, and he, he never came back. But you become so obsessed yeah. with it yeah. because it's so. It's so. I remember sitting in a bar after the third night it had happened. In tears, you know, mm-hmm. talking to my then wife, just saying, "Why is this happening to me?" But it just shows you know, what is your going on. Doesn't yeah, it? well, totally. actually, not. It's your delusions, mm. isn't it? You, I mean, we all operate under a, a delusion yeah. that we are safe, yeah, and we're not. You know, I mean, there are well, particularly in London at the moment. You know, you know um, it's a very dangerous city at the moment. Yeah. You know, I don't know why it's suddenly become so dangerous. I don't know why there are so many knives being pulled and, and, and used on people. But at the moment, that's happening all over the place. And it's that's not right. just a gang thing anymore. And it's not just in London either. No. It's happening all over the place. Yeah. But the, the, there is this, you know, when something like 7-7 happens, mm. I think it's like, nas- you know, it's a smack in the face and it's a wake up. And yeah. people feel, my God, you know, this illusion's been shattered. Yeah. But it's remarkable to me, uh, actually, how quickly London or other big cities you do just get, get back, back, to, back normal. to normal. You do. You know, almost within a week. Yeah. Know, but it does affect you. I mean, I remember coming out of um, the Bataclan thing yeah. and walking into a tube station like on the Monday morning or something, because that was kind of in some ways even more horrific than what happened on 7-7, because you think of 
I mean, when I saw the footage of people sort of cowering in restaurants and guys just walking through the streets with machine guns, and you just kind of go, well, what would you know? What would you do? Yeah. And I remember thinking, what if I walked down, you know, onto Waterloo Station and there's a guy with a machine gun shooting everybody? What would you? What do? would I do? And I kind of concluded that that I would do something, yeah. that I wouldn't run away, that I would somehow, you know, they have this, I, you know, this advice which is to, you know, hide, run. Uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. Yeah. I can't even remember it. You get out, um, out the way, basically. But, you know, basically don't confront them and all that. And we and also listening to some of the stories about London Bridge and how awful that was, where they'd actually taped the, the knives to them to their hands. So Amazing. they could, you know, I mean, just horrific. But some incredibly brave stories yeah. in that attack, yeah. you know, with punters and police officers and, mm. and paramedics, you know, all do, going way beyond and, 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 and in many cases suffering, you know. Yeah. And, there is that. I don't think you'd ever find out until it was right in front of you. Yeah, you? I don't think you would. Um, but I've always yeah. taken that view that, that I feel like I would do something. Yeah. You know, even if it meant dying, because yeah. you feel that you have to protect the way of life that you've got, no matter how random and crazy it may be, yeah. that you can't allow these people. Because you have to face it. I mean, it could happen every day on the tube. It, you know, there, what, what there's, no, there's no way that you can protect people on the underground what's astonishing is that it doesn't happen every yeah. day you know i mean it's like when as you say you know there's very little you'd think at face value very little to stop somebody mm. going in and committing a, a yeah. you know a savage act of violence yeah but it doesn't so that suggests that somebody's doing something right yeah. or you know things are getting a little bit better in in these well, places well we do always hear that at any one time they're working on something like 500 conspiracies a, a day amazing you know and i've got great respect for the people that do those jobs yeah. and, and, and bust those you know terror cells but open. I guess every now and again something's going to slip through yeah it? well it's the old adage isn't it you know we only have to be lucky once that's right as old um, McGuinness used to say that's right but I'll tell you a funny story about um, two weeks after that because I was in America at the time when 7-7 happened and we were about to go and stay on some island for a week which was going to be sort of out of touch with reality and old fashioned no TVs anything like that and it just broke really as we were leaving and so I kind of saw the TV reports thinking, oh, my God, somebody's blown up the tube. But I didn't really know because we, we were literally racing to get a ferry. I didn't quite know that it had been so well organised that there were four yeah. bombs, that they'd done them in the sign of a cross, which really freaked really? me out. That's the first time I've heard yeah. that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh they blew, they, the idea was to blow them up, to blow up the underground in the sign of a cross. Oh, my God. And that really, I mean, even now it's giving me chills yeah, when you yeah. think about that. I mean, you think they put that much thought into it, Christ. you know. Um but I then, because it was a very weird thing that happened before I went away, I'd got a phone call. I was playing golf one day at a place called Loch Lomond, which is a very privileged place. I know it well, of, uh, beautiful. Yeah. Elite uh, behaviour. Yeah. And I was there with this mate of mine, uh, who, by the way, is a, 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 a very amusing bloke called Donald McLeod. When, I first, when we first went up there, he rang me in the morning and he said, I'm not too keen on the weather. He said, I'm not sure. I said, what do you mean? I said, Scotland. I mean, you know, the weather's bad all the time. <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah, but I want to go in a helicopter. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I thought we were just driving up there, right? So I had to drive to um, uh, the local helicopter port and jump in a helicopter. And oh, it's got I wouldn't a, do that. It's got a helipad right outside the clubhouse. I don't care how good you look. I would not get into a helicopter. <laughs> well, not at all, no, ever. I'm terrified of it. Really? Yeah, terrified. Why? Well, I just think they 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 just look so fragile. They do, yeah. The trouble is, something goes wrong, they just drop like and a stone. And you know what the uh, you know what the the, the rotor blades? Yeah. You know, there's a nut, a single thing right. holding it all together. Right. Do you know what it's called? No. They call it the Jesus nut. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So I mean, anything I'm, with the Jesus yeah. nut, I'm not getting on. Well, I got we got up there, right? And I, anyway, I had this call from my uh, secretary at the Times. So I was the editor of the Mirror in Scotland, and she said, "Oh, Gordon Brown's looking for you." And I was like, well, I'm playing golf. I mean, because it was like that in those what days. What was Gordon go, Brown at the time? He was Chancellor, Chancellor of the yeah. Exchequer. 
And I said, well, never mind that. I said, I'm like, I'm on the 11th hole. You know, I can't talk to him now. I have to wait till I'm finished. <laughs> Imagine now. He'd be going, okay. And uh, so eventually I speak to his, his secretary and she want, he says, oh, Gordon would like to invite you for tea. And I mean, this was totally out of the blue. I mean, I was quite close to the Labour outfit in uh, in Hollywood, but yeah. not really London, you know. And Jack McConnell, who was the first minister, was, had become quite a good mate, you know. Um, which was part of the reason why he wanted to see me, because he hated Jack McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to get all this info on him, that right? That makes sense. And uh, so I said, and so anyway, we made this arrangement. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be away on holiday. He was going to be away on holiday. So we arranged for me to come and see him the day after I got back from holiday. So we flew back from uh, from New York. Um, we had, I think we had one baby, not two at the time. And we got back to the house and I thought, well, I have a quick change. I was feeling a bit hungover from the from you know not hungover but sort of you know jet lagged from yeah. the flight, you know, kind of sweaty where you get you know I thought I'll have a shower yeah. get get back on the plane fly to London, um, got home unfortunately to discover that the the fridge had been switched off no. and there was all this disgusting I don't even know what you could call it it was Massive. sort of detritus <laughs> which had at one point been alive and died and had come back to life again <laughs> it was like moving around inside the I was going oh, oh my god and it was really sort of. Uh, and the mother of my children had gone to bed because she was, and I'm like, well, well, why am I doing all this? I've got to go and see the Chancellor, you know. <laughs> don't you know who don't I am? Don't you know who I am? And she's like, I don't care. You have to clean the fridge out. So I'm on my hands and knees. Anyway, so I get down to London and suddenly at Paddington Station, everything had ground to a halt because what we didn't know at that point was that they tried to do it again. And so they, the, the, the four more of them had tried to blow up almost exactly the same four points yeah. in the same sort of cruciform manner. Uh, only this time, luckily, none of them, had, none of it had gone off. That's right. Did, well, didn't MI six or MI five or whatever it is get on top of them? Or I'm not sure. I th- no, I think it was as simple as through, as, right? as the the, the detonator is not working. Christ. I mean, it should have happened. Yeah. And so, for some reason, also, the, so the transport systems all got turned off. So did off. you get to number eleven? Well, so I was standing in a I was standing in a in a line waiting for a cab because it, basically they closed the underground. And so we still didn't really know at that point. I'm and it's, as words started filtering through the crowd. Oh, there's been another bombing. And it's at that point that you think, Jesus, is this what it's going to be like for the rest of my life? Yeah. That everywhere I go now in a capital city or a big sort of organised trip, there's going to be a threat of a bomb. Because sometimes you wonder if that's what it's going to be well, like. Well, there's going to be like one that, every two weeks. It doesn't feel like that now, do you, though. Well, but do you not think that every time you go to a city, the presence, like, it's definitely a different experience. It's it's there. It's there when you go through security control. It's there when you see the cops all over the with street. With guns, yeah. With guns around, you know, parliamentary places yeah. and stuff like this. It's it's definitely heightened. I suppose so. But if you're not going, I mean, like, when we, for a long time, were going down to Westminster and doing shows on College Green, and you saw the, the machine gun toting cops yeah. outside the Houses of Parliament every day. Yes. Mm. But if you're not seeing that, which you don't see everywhere, not really. You Do know? you know the weird thing is that, of course, we did live through all of this, you know, under the IRA, didn't we, mm. when we were growing up? And there used to be, if you don't know London, there's around the city of London, there's mm. roadblocks, aren't there, which yeah. are still there, but unmanned. Yeah, well, like the and ones going into the city. they used to be manned city, with yeah. cops with guns. Well, I was saying it? to my son just the other day, um, when we were on the Tube, um, he said, the, the, are, there, "Are there any um, bins on the chimney?" I said, "Well, there didn't used to be any bins, not only on the chimney. There used to be bins in London. That's right. Because the IRA used to put bombs in them. That's right. And, and that's why Paris time, has plastic. They have see-through plastic yeah. uh, bins. But we now have those yeah. on on the tube. Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't know if I looked in one of those whether there's a bomb in it. No. You know, I mean, I don't know what a bomb looks like. Yeah. Really. I mean, but, I mean, I don't think it's like one of those ones from the Pink Panther, which is the big ticking, fuse with the big fuse and it's the word and a big clock. It. Yeah, the word bot. You know, it's not going to look like that, <laughs> no, is it? I hope not. No. So yeah. So anyway, um, I walked. I ended up. The cab line was so long. 
that I thought, well, this is ridiculous. So I just walked, basically. So from Paddington, you can walk to Hyde Park, walk across Hyde Park. Um, wasn't exactly sure where Gordon Brown was. For some reason, I thought he was in number 11 Downing Street, yeah. right? So I thought, well, I'm going to, there's no way I can get to Downing Street. Because that's, that's exactly where I would have gone. Yeah. And he was causing the treasury. Well, because it's one of those things where you go, well, where is he? Gordon Brown lives you know, in number 11. He lives in number 11. So I didn't feel like I needed to ask where he was. And so I got to, there's the back entrance by St. James's Park, you know, where you can go in and up the steps up to Downing Street. So I went to them as a sort of a, um, a sentry guy there. And I said, oh, I've come to see Gordon Brown. And he went, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, isn't this where he is? He went, no, be in the Treasury building. He said, but you might not be able to get in there. You know, there's a lockdown going on. He said, have you not heard? I said, well, yeah, but, you know, I've got an appointment, you know. And uh, so I eventually found my way to the modern sort of Treasury building, which is just around the corner. Meanwhile, some bloke had tried to deliver some food into Downing Street, which came from an Indian... I don't know who yeah. in their right mind would have ordered Indian food yeah. on a day like that, yeah. um, where the fucking place was in lockdown from, from Islamic terrorism. Yeah. This guy turned up and was immediately thrown to the ground oh and had, God. you know, like machine guns pointed at the back of his head. Yeah. And he's just going, I'm trying to just deliver a curry. And, um, God, of so course, the mother of my children immediately assumed that was me that had been arrested outside of Downing Street. Natural um, And started, I think, texting me because by then the texting was coming back, you know, have you been arrested? You know, <laughs> no, it's not me. And I found my way into to, uh, to Gordon Brown's sort of inner sanctum where he had a table and chairs and he had another room where there was like two uh, armchairs and loads of pictures of his kid and he started showing me pictures of his kids and he was very charming yeah. you know and I, at this point all I knew about Gordon Brown was that he threw phones around a lot and shouted at people and was you know filled with rage and all this but he couldn't have been more charming and while there's this national emergency and while there's this national emergency and people were coming in and out of the of the room as we were chatting about kids and you know families and Scotland and sort of passing him bits of paper and saying things like um yeah, they've just um, worked out who the third guy is and they'd sort of look at me to see whether I was safe to say something and he would go, it's all right, carry on. Yeah, you know. micro telling. Yeah, <laughs> it was quite, I mean, it would have made some quite good TV. I was going, this is great. Yeah, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah. Um, How surreal. But then all he really wanted to know was, um, what was Jack McConnell like? <laughs> and what was he telling me? And, right. you know, because it turned, out, paranoid. It turned yeah. out that he and Jack McConnell had already fallen out right. because I found this out later. Um, and he would, you know, Jack had had these phone calls saying, oh. you know, I'm going to fucking finish you, really? and all this because apparently he's really vitriolic about stuff, you oh know. My God. And just well, had... if you read uh, Alistair Campbell's yeah. diaries, Gordon Brown's paranoia mm. knows no end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it was a very surreal experience, and I remember walking out of there because you know when you're in one of these situations where you get told when it's over, it's not like you know you have any idea. Yeah. If he'd said to me, "Would you like to stay the night?" <laughs> I'd probably still be there, you know. <laughs> Because I didn't know. And then finally I wandered out and sort of wandered, slightly dazed into, into, into Green Park and kind of wanted to meet some friends of mine who, again, because it, even though there'd been this attempted terrorist attack, yeah. everyone was out drinking yeah. because, you know, they couldn't get home. Well, talk about surreal, right? Do you remember that um, there was a time, was it last year, when there was a, an alert at Oxford Circus Tube Station? Oh, yeah. When people reported gunshots. Yes. Well, my this lad... was inside Selfridges or something, wasn't it? Well, no. Uh, what's his face? Ollie Murs. Ollie Murs was inside Selfridges, right. tweeting away, right, hiding under a under, under the makeup counter, saying London's right? under attack or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, sending the whole to his which made it worse. Twitter followers. Right. But my lad, my fourteen-year-old eldest, was in Oxford Circus with right. his mate, going right. home from school. Or something. See, doing. that's quite intense as well. That he's yeah. wandering about the centre of London. Ah, but you've got to, haven't you? If mm. you're, uh, I mean, that's the thing that he's. You know, both my elder kids, twelve and fourteen, both use public transport yeah. like it was, right. you know, completely normal and natural. 
Anyway, so Theo is uh, he swears to this day that he heard the gunshots, yeah. which obviously there was this, this noise, and ran out and was greeted by this absolute bedlam right. in in uh, Oxford Circus. People running because, of course, directions. they all know what guns sound like. Yeah, right? of course, having never know, heard like them. That, like that. Like, you heard them on Hollywood movies. That's I mean, what I mean. What but that's not how they know? sound. <laughs> so, so Theo runs for his life, thinks that London's under under attack. And runs down Regent Street and into the first door he sees, which is the global headquarters of Argent Provocateur. Quite right. Right. And, Sensible and young man. Takes refuge right. in the world's biggest lingerie shop right. you can find. And is taken <laughs> taken up to the uh, That's great. Taken up to the fourth floor. And in, in their headquarters they've got this modelling shoot. Right. right. So when when I as you say, right, they were all I was able to get as close as about King's Cross yeah, yeah. to to get him and then had to run through London, right, uh, and everyone was just sitting outside drinking wine yeah. and happily pissed, you yeah. know, while this so because they figured, well, we can't go anywhere. Well, you know, it's all, and also if people at that point still thought there was a live attack underway, but you know, people were just sitting, yeah, there having well, I wine. Mean, it's like those that footage of London Bridge when it's all kicking off and yeah. people are walking away, that's right, but carrying their drinks with them. That's right, amazing. I mean, how very British is that? So when I finally got to uh, Agent Provocateur mm. and found my way up to the fourth floor through all these scantily clad, amazingly beautiful women and found Theo being pampered by four of them. He just looked up and said, can you come back in a couple of hours? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not ready to go yet. That's remarkable. That really is. But I mean, the thing is, we now have become, I would say, kind of inured to it so that we don't think... So when I was thinking about 7-7, and maybe it's because I wasn't here when it happened, um, it made me just, you know, wonder whether we have now become completely sort of, uh, yeah. I don't know, just, just barren to the whole well, idea. Well, uh, the thing that strikes me about 7-7 in particular is I, th- I think it's been forgotten. You know, I think um, in comparison to other attacks, mm. generally speaking, it's been forgotten. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, this year, funnily enough, when I saw, and it was on Twitter, that you know, today's the 14th anniversary, la 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 yeah. it hadn't occurred to me, and it's not something that's stuck in, I mean, 9-11 is in your head. Yeah, and obviously you know? 9-11, much, much bigger. Yeah. But you go to New York now, and the the memorials to 9-11, it's like half of yeah. downtown Manhattan. Yeah. You know, it's like enormous. Yeah. And it's incredibly beautifully done. Remarkable. And the yeah. most touching thing, I think, is is the uh, the white rose they yeah. leave on the victims' birthdays, yeah. and they leave it against right. their names. It's right. Incredible. It's but, very, very but there's e- no, emotional. There's nothing comparable to that for seven, I don't think seven, there is. I don't think. Really. I don't think there is. And maybe that's something about London is that you know London has seen many attacks. You know, yeah. since 1939. That's true. We have been bombed by the Germans, yeah. by the IRA, yeah. and now by yeah. Islamic terrorists. There may be something in that actually, because I think the thing that was so shocking for so many Americans was that somebody had bombed their city effectively yeah. That's right. with two planes. First time, and they'd, they'd never happened, ever been attacked. Yeah. And the only part of America that had ever been attacked was, was Pearl Harbor. It was Hawaii. And that's not really America. Yeah. I mean, even though they'll say it is, nobody in America really believes... domestic attack, like uh, the, the, the lad in Oklahoma and the Unabomber. And oh, stuff yeah, like Timothy this. McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh. But apart from that, it's but not But they're just nutters. I mean, I know that we... I mean, we get accused sometimes in the press of, of, of not naming people the right way and not using the word terrorist the right way and... Lone Wolf somehow is a bad thing to describe yeah, somebody because it glams them up. Yeah, but I mean Timothy McVeigh. I remember being. I remember working on the Express the night that happened, and you know you couldn't find a more nutty character in, yeah. the, in if you looked in yeah. the whole world of nutcases, you know. Yeah. And he didn't have a a, a a real reason for doing it. Did they kill him in the end? Did yeah, I think he was. I think he, he, was, I think he got the death, yeah. death penalty. Yeah. yeah. 
But yes, no, so it is in our conscience. You know, mm. I mean, I live in Highbury Barn. Yeah. About half a mile down the road is a roundabout outside Highbury and Islington Tube Station. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever looks at it, but there's a small plaque on a wall and it says, this is where a V2 bomb landed. Oh, and really? 36 people were killed. Wow. 115 people injured. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, that was on the same source of scale yeah. as 7-7. So maybe there is something in our well, conscience. Well, if you look, I mean, if you ever it. look at that amazing picture, the famous picture that was taken, I think, from the roof of Associated Newspapers, of uh, St. Paul's burning, yeah. and behind the everything flames. on fire. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. You can't imagine what that would be no, like. No, no. I mean, about living in, in sort of, you know, Aleppo in, or something. Or Dante's seventh ring yeah. hell, you know. Well, yeah. Know. Well, Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is... Well, my dad... My, listen, my dad grew up in the Blitz. He was right. like five or six years old right. when it all started. And my granddad was mayor of Bootle at the time. Was he? And they called him the Tin Hat Mayor. Right. Because when, whenever... I mean, Bootle was blitzed to smithereens. It was, you know, as bad as anyone. Mm. And uh, and my granddad would go out with his tin hat and, and dig out wow. survivors as the mayor. Because my mother was was living sort of near Clyde Bank in Scotland at the time, and she would tell stories yeah. as she was a teenager of just going down to the the, the, the air raid show every night. Yeah, you know the sound goes off, you go run. You was it the top of generation? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, very much so. That's when somebody who was it that said? I think it was might have even been Theresa May when she said. You know, it was a unique generation, mm. the greatest generation. Yeah, and you couldn't help but feeling. Well, my father true. has a theory. That because of the number of young men uh, that were sent to their deaths, both in the First World War and the Second World War, that Britain became a worse place right. as a result because the, you know, it's, it might be a bit controversial. It's the gene pool was very severely weakened because really? the only people who didn't, I mean, of course, people came oh, back, see. but all the ones who were killed were the finest and the bravest and right. the fittest and all of that. Um, and he had this view that the ones who didn't go were weaker. Somehow were less right. worthy. So there was a bigger proportion of people who were signed off for. Yeah. Yeah. And so the so ones. Sense, the, yeah, well, it kind of does, but it depends if you believe in that kind of thing. But yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that we're, an awful lot of brilliant young men died yeah. as a result of going to war. Isn't it amazing when you think of the lives and the families that would have existed and all the inventions yeah. and the paintings yeah. and the films that would have been made? Yeah, exactly. All of these things that never happened. Yeah. And now what we've got is a sort of, you know, army of people in this country who expect things to be given to them on a plate. I'll tell you what, the sense expect... of self-entitlement is yeah. extraordinary. It now, really is. Think, you know. It really is. And the kinds of things, even when we talk about things like the poverty gap yeah. and people who say, well, of course, if you're now living in London and there is a family of four and you're making less than 21,000 a year, you're living in poverty. Yeah. And you go, what? Yeah, go and visit you know, Sudan. Really? Yeah. I mean, proper poverty is when you haven't got anything to eat and yeah. you haven't got anywhere to live. And well, you, I used to grow you know, up, you know, I mean, this is, I'm only 50 years old, mm. so when I was 10, 11, going to secondary school, yeah. uh, you'd go, the train line would go through Bootle, again, right. you know, Crosby, Seaforth yeah. and Liverland, and they was proper slums, yeah. you know, proper slum dwellings that yeah. have since been knocked down and, new houses built but that's only a generation ago and that was proper poverty as well and yeah. I mean you might argue that you wouldn't want to go back to that no. because everybody has a right to uh, we, everybody has a right to eat and, and a right yeah. to electricity and I was watching a documentary the other day um, and this guy was in somewhere, somewhere in southern Italy in the 50s they were living in caves Yeah, I mean I'm not joking literally holes in the in the wall yeah. because they didn't have enough money to have a proper house and it didn't, and I mean, the weather meant meant that it was not so bad in terms of the actual the cold or anything like that. But they were living in bloody caves, no right. electricity, no sanitation. This is the nineteen fifties, not that long ago, <laughs> you know, not that long before I was then born, you know. But people go, oh well, because they come in on any yeah. foreign holidays, you must be poor. Yeah, that's right. You know, you you've only got, sports you've only got, yeah, you've only got one TV. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, what's wrong with you? I can't yeah. afford a car. 
Yeah. Can't afford foreign holidays. Talking of cars, I'm, I'm under getting a new car. Are you? I am. Are you going to do the right thing? I am. What are you going to do? So, so the backstory is yeah. that when uh, everyone was telling you to buy a diesel car, Gordon Brown again. Yes. That was. Yeah. Bastard. Because it was Ed Miliband who was then, um, I think he was then Minister for the Environment. Yeah. Who was the one that was going on about uh, how diesel was going to be cleaner? Yeah. Than That's anything right. else. That's right. And, and actually, it does more. It puts out more pollutant, uh, less sort of carbon dioxide. Well, it's also it's meant to more... be longer lasting, so yeah. that it's be- it's more efficient. Yeah. And it was also meant to be cheaper, which of course it's not anymore. No, it's, it's well, now no, more expensive. It was. Now they've ramped it yeah. up. But, so anyway, I bought this Volvo diesel Volvo. Volvo. Very nice car. Well, you're not embarrassed to buy a Volvo. No, for the first time in my life, I wasn't. It's one of these seven-seaters. Right. I've got three kids, right. so I sort of thought, we'll use the space. Yeah. But anyway, bought this thing. I have to travel quite a lot in the middle of the week. Yeah. And, and this, I have to say, it was second-hand, so yeah. I didn't pay okay. top whack. But this thing is. But got, you want a nice car if you're you travelling a, nice a lot. Right. Yeah. And this thing has got massaging seats, right? <laughs> So well, why, is that allowed while you're actually driving? Out. It's, it's, it's in the passenger seats right. as well. People think they're getting touched up. Right. You know, right. Honestly, it's not. I'm Hashtag not me handy, too. But the seats massage it. It's brilliant, right. honestly. I've never had any back trouble in it right. at all. Anyway, now, I because I live on the fringe of the congestion mm. charge in London, right. if I want to drive into London, it costs me 25 quid. That's ridiculous. £12.50, I think it is, yeah. for the congestion charge. I mean, it must be quite an old one then. No, it it's be... only five years old. Is that right? Five, but it's just before the... Um, I think the, the next year was the year when it started. Because I had passing. a 15-year-old Mercedes M-Class, right. which smelt like a fish and chip shop, I have yeah. to say. I mean, it was diesel. Is that just because you left all the wraps? Yeah, probably, that? yeah. But I mean, it was a hell of a polluting thing, yeah. and I mean, but it, it got to the point where I, I, I had to drive do quite a lot of driving at one point, and I thought, and it was starting to do things like heating up if I was in a traffic jam, and I thought, <laughs> you know, this is not going to work, no, and, no. This is, and and it, so in the end, I just decided it's time to get like new cars, leased cars. I see because, you lease your cars, so I lease right. my cars because that yeah. way I, I know it's not going to break down, and yeah. if it does, they'll fix it, and it won't cost me. I don't any know money. why I don't do that. I've sort of got this kind of aversion to yeah. not owning. Well, something. I'm accused all the time. Um, by my partner of, of not caring about anything and not wanting to own anything because mm. I don't actually care. Right. I mean, I pretty much lease everything. I mean, there was a time when uh, when I was first living in London in this flat and there was a problem with the council tax. You know how fast off the mark they are to come and send bailiffs around, right? Yeah. And this bailiff turned up and I said, well, it's all very well, mate. I said, there's nothing in here that I, that I, I own. There's nothing you can take. I said, it's all rented. All the furniture's rented. The only thing I've got is a computer. You have the contents um, of my fridge yeah. and the toilet rolls. And then the computer, which you can't take because I need it for work. So you can piss off. <laughs> and he was completely bewildered. He's like, Brilliant. all right, he just walks away. You know. Anyway, so I'm getting rid of the Volvo. Yeah. And I'm getting an electric car. Electric car. Very yeah. nice, too. Yeah. They're very expensive electric cars, aren't Some they? Some of them are. It's God's way of telling you you're making too much money. Uh, yeah. What are you getting? <laughs> Tesla. <laughs> I'm getting one of the new, thing, one of the new Tesla Model Threes. Model Three, very yeah, nice. Which is, I'm, I'm really. I really actually had a look. I it. actually had a look at the uh, the four wheel drive one. Yes. but it's got those stupid doors that the open X, like gold wing. Model X, yeah. Gold wing doors. That's properly expensive. That's yeah. seventy five grand. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't tell you how much the other one is because people get <sighs> upset. Yeah. So the Brexit business is good for you then. It's not. You're making so the, much money of buying a Tesla the Brexit business. Well, it's, apparently it is. No. What about Elon Musk? You don't mind buying a car from a guy like Elon Musk? I like Elon Musk. Do you? He's great, yeah. Okay. I think he's the next kind of, you know, Edison. Do you know, I was watching a movie the other day. Um, watching it with my son who's sitting here next to us, but he's keeping quiet because... Uh, hello. hello. Um, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what did we tell you? <laughs> he was producing... He got up an executive producer's credit on this film called yeah. Thank You For Smoking, which is a great film, by yeah. the way. 
Um, and he makes like a cameo appearance in it. I didn't know he had anything to do with Hollywood, but I, I guess he's, he's always brilliant. been this kind of eccentric I billionaire. Love I love him. I love how sort of how much he doesn't. Are you not worried somebody's going to steal your electric car? I hope not. No. And what are you going to do about putting a post in? Because you live in no, what can I be described live, as yeah. a an urban street. It is. And you I've can't put no a post, can you? Spot or no. no. But but Islington Council have been putting lots of. Uh, Charging points in. Do you know what they've done on my street? No. In East London, they've put um, little plugs on the on street the, lights. On the lamps. I've Isn't seen that, the taxi. That's that? fantastic. Yeah. I saw a taxi plugged into yeah. one. It's fantastic a really good idea. idea. So they've got these little blue lights, yeah. which tells you it's live, yeah. and you just plug in. Because they've already got power. They're yeah. everywhere. They're by right. the side of the road. Brilliant. When idea. I lived in New York, right, on East 30th Street, between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, there was a homeless family that your Spaniards, of Hispanics, used to sit at the end of the street in the summer yeah. on a settee. And they had a TV plugged into the lamp, yeah. watching the baseball. I never seen anything like. I was like, "What the fuck are you people doing?" Hey, man, how you doing, man? I was That's like, great. "What are you watching the baseball?" I said, "This That's is great. great." I said, "I live here. I paid two hundred thirty thousand dollars for an apartment here. You're just sitting here bombing off my electricity." <laughs> Right. Unbelievable. On that well, bombshell. On that bombshell. I think we've almost come to the end of yet another successful podcast. Um, we'll, we'll be back. Uh, let them be the judge of that. We'll let them be but the judge of that. But if you do think it was successful, yeah. please do give us a rating. Give us a rating. Also, tell somebody about it. Yes. That doesn't know about it. Yes. And get them to listen to it, subscribe to it, download it. It's every right. Tuesday. We might start doing more than one do a week. You know what? You know. I, think, I think we should you think do we a should? couple of these a week. Yeah. yeah, I think we should. So we'll talk to Audio Boom about that. Yeah. See if they fancy it. Good stuff. All right. See you next week. See you next week. It seemed to me just to be another story at the time yeah. that we were going to leave the European Union. It's only because of people like you that have made it that so have, difficult. That have pointed out no, the complexity. No, that have made it. That you that have, no. thought was simple. No, no, I just thought it would get done. And nothing yeah. is simple, right? Right. Being married isn't simple. No. Having children is not simple. Um, you know, going to the shop sometimes isn't simple. It doesn't stop you doing it, does it? Well, no. None of those examples stop you doing it. But mm. leaving the European Union after 40 years and yeah. meshing in every single piece of legislation, yeah. every trade deal, yeah, yeah. every cultural exchange, yeah. every job swap, that's complicated. Well, it's it not is. like getting married. Yeah, well, actually, you might say that. But, uh, you know, I've been in some marriages uh, which were very much more complicated <laughs> than trying to leave the and European Union. more costly than leaving the uh, European yeah, Union. Yeah, actually, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm still paying for it, but nevertheless... this Volvo diesel Volvo. Volvo very nice car were you not embarrassed to buy a Volvo no, I, for the first time in my life I wasn't it's one of these seven seaters right. I've got three kids right. so I sort of thought we'll use the space yeah anyway bought this thing I have to travel quite a lot in the middle of the week yeah. and, and this I have to say it was second hand so yeah. I didn't pay okay. top whack but this thing is. but got, you want a nice car if you're you travelling a, nice a lot right. yeah. and this thing has got massaging seats right <laughs> So well, why, is that allowed while you're actually driving? Out. It's, it's, it's in the passenger seat right. as well. People think they're getting touched up. Right. You know, right. Honestly, it's not. Hashtag not V2. Handy. Finally, I hired a security guard uh, with a gun. Yeah. And I said, if he comes back, don't shoot him because I fucking want to. You know, <laughs> and just hold him there. There was a homeless family that your Spaniards of Hispanics used to sit at the end of the street in the summer yeah. on a settee. And they had a TV plugged into the lamp, yeah. watching the baseball. I never seen anything like. I was like, "What the fuck are you people doing?" 